In John chapter 3, a man named Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. He came to talk to Jesus about the miracles that he did, but Jesus looked at him and said, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. That's interesting because Nicodemus was Jewish and Jesus was Jewish, but Jesus's words to Nicodemus were that you need to be born again. You need to have a new heart. In the light of all that's going on in our world and especially with the conflict in Israel today, my mind turns to the book of Ezekiel where the word of God says to the Jewish people, I will bring you out of captivity. I will put you back in the land and I will give you a brand new heart. Israel is back in the land of the Lord, not necessarily believing in the Lord of the land. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And today I want to talk about a new heart. Well, I want to ask you this morning to take your Bible and turn to that very, very familiar uh, passage of Scripture that we find in John chapter 3. Uh, this week and next week, and perhaps one more week, I'm going to be uh, dealing with this very well-known passage. You know, there are verses that you know. You don't have to turn in your Bible, but I hope that you will. I hope you bring your, I hope you bring your Bible every week. Either you can bring uh, a copy of God's Word like this, or you can have it on your phone. But anyway, I want you to follow along with me. And this morning especially, I'm going to use a good deal of Scripture. But John chapter 3 has some verses that everybody knows. You know. You know that Jesus said to this man named Nicodemus, you must be born again. How many of you have heard that before? Have you ever heard that before? Uh, yeah, you must be born again. And then... Uh, he made this statement uh, a little bit further on in the chapter. He said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so, you, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And then John the Baptist said later in this passage, he must increase and I must decrease. And somebody said there, those are the three musts of John chapter 3. You must be born again. Jesus must be lifted up on the cross. And in our life, we must grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. In other words, it is supposed to be more and more and more. And of course, in the midst of John chapter 3, you know verse 16. I mean, everybody's heard John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We learned that a long, long time ago. And for many years, we would have said that's the best known verse among all people. They know John 3.16 above everything else. Now, in our day, in our culture, it has become, this is the verse that people know more than other verses, and that is judge not lest you be judged. Uh, they want you to know that you're not supposed to be the judge. Well, we're not supposed to be the judge, but there is a judge in heaven. And we are going to be accountable for the things that that judge in heaven decrees that are important to us. So this morning, I want to begin to read in John chapter 3 and talk about this necessity of the new birth. And more than just the necessity of the new birth, but to have a new heart because that is exactly where we go with this passage of Scripture. You have to have a new heart. That old heart you have is not sufficient for what Jesus is calling us to. So John chapter 3, verse 1, follow along with me. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. 
Everybody with me so far? And so, verse 2, the same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, teacher, we know that you are a teacher come from God because of the miracles you do. No one can do the miracles you do except God be with him. And Jesus' answer to this was, Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Isn't that a good question, folks? That's a sensible question. How can this be? Uh, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wants to blow. Amen? It does. And you can't see where it's coming from, and you can't see where it's going, but you can see the work of the wind. He says this in verse 8, The wind bloweth wherever it wills, and you hear the sound thereof, and you can't tell where it came from and whither it is going. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. And I think what he's saying is, the work of the Holy Spirit in our life is a mysterious, marvelous thing. The blowing of the wind is a mysterious thing. But it turns uh, turns so many things, and, and the direction of so many things, whether it be a ship, or whether it be the trees, or... Uh, all of that. And then he says in verse 9, Nicodemus answered and said unto him, Ask and said, Really, how can these things be? And Jesus answered and said unto him, Aren't you a teacher? Don't you know these things? Uh, verse 11, Verily, verily, I say unto you, We speak what we do know and testify that we have seen and receive not our witness, and you receive not our witness. You haven't been listening. I have told you earthly things, and you don't believe it. But now, how shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, who, which is in heaven, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Now, dear people, we know these things. We've read this text so many different times. And we've memorized portions of the scripture. We know these things. But I heard of a seminary professor one time that said that the new birth is not such a big deal because it's only mentioned once in the Bible. Well, dear Dr. Confused, I beg to differ with you. The new birth is mentioned many times in the Bible. John referred to it as being born again, born of God, born from above. Peter described it as repenting and being converted. They're talking about the very same experience, the very same thing. Paul used words like being alive from the dead 
in Romans 6.13. You were dead, now you're alive. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, he said, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away, and all things become new. And that's a new birth. You hath he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Uh, the King James says, You hath he quickened who was... I mean, you were dead, and now all of a sudden the quick and the dead, now all of a sudden the living and the dead, you've been made alive. In, in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, he spoke of the washing of the regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Ghost. In other words, you can't get there, you can't get to heaven, you can't have a relationship with God based upon your own works and how good you do at keeping the law. Now I'm going somewhere because Pharisees, they kept the law, and what was Nicodemus? He was a Pharisee. I mean, he was at the top of the pack when it came to the works that this man did. He was, I think we could all agree concerning Nicodemus, he was a very good man, and yet the Word of God still says, you need to be born again. You need to be regenerated, renewed by the Holy Spirit. Simon Peter said it's like being called out of darkness into his marvelous light, 1 Peter 2, 9. And John said in 1 John 3, 14 that we pass from death into life. All of that is to say the words that we are so familiar with, and yet so many people don't seem to grasp, is to be born again. So if you'd ask somebody, have you been born again? They'd say, well, yeah, I've been baptized. No, that's not, what, that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about a work that takes place in our heart. The late J.C. Ryle, I mean real late, he's been dead oh, well over 100 years. He wrote these words. He says, the change of heart in a true Christian is so complete that no word would be chosen more fitting to express it than the word regeneration or the new birth. Doubtless it is no outward bodily alteration, but undoubtedly it is an entire alteration of the inner man. It adds no new faculties to a man's mind, but it certainly gives an entirely new bent and bias to all his old ones. His will is so new. His views of sin, the world, the Bible, and Christ, they're all so new that to all intents and purposes, he is a new man. The change seems to bring a new being into existence, and everyone needs this new life. And Jesus made it clear. I mean, by saying to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Has that happened to you people? Now, we're not just talking about a man 2,000 years ago. I'm asking the question to you. Have you been born again? Don't tell me you're a member of this church. Don't say I'm a Baptist. There's going to be enough Baptist in hell to start a Bible college. Don't tell me that. You must be born again. Every one of us. It, was a work, it is a work that God did in our hearts. So what do we know about Nicodemus? We know that he... You say, Brother Mike, why are you using your notes so much? Because if I don't, we're going to be here a long time. I've got a lot to share. I've got to stay on task. So what do we know about Nicodemus? We know that he appears again in John chapter 17, verse 50, when he's saying to the rest of the Pharisees, what are you doing condemning a man before you've even listened to what he's got to say? He's standing up for Jesus. 
We know that in John chapter 19, he went with a man named Joseph of Arimathea to Pontius Pilate to say, can we have the dead body of Jesus? We do not know that on this particular night when he came to Jesus, that that night that he was born again. But if, if I have any understanding from the very nature of what Scripture says, there was a change that took place in Nicodemus' life. I believe at some point, it might not have been on this night in John 3, but at some point in time, Nicodemus surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. It's not a secret disciple that stands up for Jesus among the Pharisees or the council. It's not a secret disciple that goes to the ruler of the land and says, this man, that all the people that I have been a part of all these years have had him crucified, but now I want to help with his body and take it and have it buried and, and give it a decent treatment. I believe Nicodemus was a man that came to know Jesus Christ maybe shortly after that. So in my opinion, he became a disciple. It's also true that even as a religious Jew, he needed to be born again. Now listen to me, folks. This is really important. That fact is important today because there are not two ways to God. And I've heard some say that the Jewish people, because they're under Abraham's covenant, they don't need this new birth. Then why did Jesus say, you must be born again? Now, I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Romans for a moment. All of Israel is not saved. And it's important for us to understand about God's dealing with the Jewish people, especially at such a time as this. So I want to read to you from Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, and please listen to these words. I'm going to begin, I'm going to read 11 verses, picking up in verse 15. So Paul is writing to believers, but he's writing about the Jewish people coming to Christ. He's not writing about Gentile Baptists coming to Christ. He's writing about Jewish people coming to Christ. And he says in verse 15, For if the casting away of them... Well, who's the them? It is the casting away of that... Jewish form of religion that people would use and trust in because Jesus has come to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So there is a change that's taken place. That change took place at Calvary. That change took place with the resurrection. And he says, for if the casting away of them be the reconciling the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? Paul is saying that Israel needs to be saved. The people of Israel, the Jewish people in Israel, they need to be saved. Are you with me? Are you with me? They need to come to Christ. And he says, And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them partakers of the root and the fatness of the olive tree, we are receiving blessings from Abraham. We are receiving the richness and the fatness of the blessings of Abraham who walked by faith. And that's how we walk. Boast not against the branches that were broken off. He says in verse 19, Thou would say then, the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Gentile believers, Jewish people broken off, Gentiles 
grafted in? Well, because of unbelief they were broken off. And thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. Do not look down on the Jewish people. Do not look down on these children of Abraham. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed lest he also spare not thee. Behold, therefore, the goodness and the severity of God on them which fell, severity, but toward thee, goodness, if thou continue on in his goodness, otherwise thou also shall be cut off. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. They say, I'm not sure I'm following you. You need to go home and read this again. I know you won't, but I'm telling you, you will. Yeah, you should. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. And if thou wert cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these, which by the natural branches, be grafted in their own olive tree? For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And verse 26, and so all Israel shall be saved as it is written. There shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. This is my prayer today. That Israel would be saved. That they would be born again. We're watching all these things suddenly begin to unfold in the Middle East. I'm praying that the end result is that Israel will come to know Christ as their Savior. Hello, this is Monty Schenkel, and we sure appreciate you listening to this podcast. This is a new effort on our part from Take Heart Ministry. A little over a year ago, we began Take Heart Ministry with the intention of telling people by means of radio and also the internet and now by podcast that they can take heart because Jesus cares for them. If you'd like to know more about us, if you'd like to check our ministry out, you can go to takeheart.org. If you would like to personally contact me, you can write to Monty Schinkel or you can write to mschinkel at takeheart.org. Thank you for listening and now back to the podcast. We were in Israel several years ago. We went to the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem. We came back out just a bunch of babbling Baptists and got on the bus and nobody said anything because the depth of the evil that was what we call the Holocaust it's like Israel has been bearing this for a long time, the hatred of so many people. There is no place among the people of God for anti-Semitism. None whatsoever. No place for the hatred of Israel. I pray for friends in Israel, especially a man named Ralph. And so... Of the eight times that I've been to Israel, Ralph has been my guide four times. I've spent a full month plus under Ralph's care and protection. Now, what you need to know about Ralph, um, he lives in Kafar Azah, about two kilometers from Gaza, in a kibbutz. And last week, Ralph's home was attacked. He and his wife spent 24 hours in a safe room cut off from communication, not knowing how his son and his family was that lived a few houses down. 
until the military showed up to get them out, and they didn't know it was Jewish military, Israeli military, until they heard them speaking Hebrew, and then they knew that the people who live across the border did not speak Hebrew. Hebrew is not an easy thing to speak. It's not an easy thing to study. It's not an easy thing to learn. I had two semesters of Hebrew, and I passed it because our professor said, if you, I promise you I'll pass you if, you if I don't catch you throwing your Hebrew grammar in the Mississippi River. I will pass you. So I said, endure to the end, and I did. And so in that village of 900, 50 were killed. 20 were taken captive. Ralph, though he guides for Christian groups, is not a believer. And so I heard him standing at the western wall say that he did not believe that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. He believed he was like other prophets. And here's a guy that has read the Bible much, certainly very familiar with the Old Testament, although he is a secular Jew, not necessarily a practicing Jew, but yet... He is so kind and so full of compassion, and often he would go down to the area in Gaza and he would take people to get medical care over into Israel because he said they couldn't afford to get there any other way. So he has friends on the other side of this border fence. And now I received a message from him. I'm sure many people did overnight about 3 o'clock this morning that he is in Elat, which is in southern Israel right now. His home has been destroyed in that kibbutz, and his wife is with one of their grandsons in northern Israel, and they're in the process of burying friends, and, and uh, he, they can't leave their little grandchildren alone because they're terrified of what all is going on. And one day, by the way, this you need to know about Ralph is that he has no living cousins. He has a sibling, but no living cousins because... Uh, his mom and dad met in Namibia. That's not close to Israel. They met in Namibia, and Ralph was raised in Namibia, so he's got a strong British accent down in, from down in Africa. And he said he asked his mother one time about what all the marks on her arm was. So they were tattoos. Her, his dad also, both of them survived concentration camps. And all the rest of their family was lost in the Holocaust. Standing on Masada, this big piece of rock out in the middle of the desert, down to the Dead Sea, Ralph talked about how Israel must fight for itself to defend itself. And he made this statement, the thing that, that is the motto of Israel is never again. Never again. This past week I was reading uh, through God's Word, trying to, I try to do that every year. But it just so happened my reading on Thursday was Ezekiel chapter 36. Now just listen to these words. Verse 24 says, now Israel is in, by the way, Israel is in captivity here. Are you all with me? Do you head like this? Okay. Time is it? All right, we're good. Israel was in captivity. They would spend 70 years in Babylon. Isaiah Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, those are tough reads in the Old Testament, aren't they? You get there, it's hard to read them. It's hard to digest them. But every now and then you're reading through there and you get something like, oh. 
And this is what the word of the Lord said to Ezekiel that he said to the people of Israel. He said in verse 24, Ezekiel 36 verse 24, For I will take you from among the heathen, and I will gather you out of all countries, and I will bring you back into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your filthiness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And a new heart I will give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues, and you shall keep my judgments and do them, and you shall dwell in the land that I give you to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I shall be your God." It's going to take 70 years for this to happen, but this is what he says is going to happen. Now, let me tell you, a lot of this has been fulfilled. Suddenly, 1948, there is a place again called Israel, and the people are coming from all parts of the world, and they're from, they're, there are those in Israel that are speaking French, and those in Israel that are speaking German, and those in Israel speaking English, and those in Israel from Ethiopia, from all different parts of the world. But here's the one thing that has not happened. They need a new heart. Ralph, as good a man as he is, as kind a man as he is, a great guy that he is, a scholar that he is, he needs a new heart. Has he another friend of mine who is 86 years old who is guiding us next May if we get to go, and I'm kind of skeptical about that? Has he uh, a religious Jew who refers to Jesus as our Lord? I mean, he's a wonderful teacher and knows the Old Testament and knows the New Testament. Hezzy, you must be born again. Nicodemus, you must be born again. And to every Tom, Dick, and Harry in the United States and at First Baptist Church, Eldon, you must be born again. Because ultimately at the end, we're all going in the same way. It's because of what happened when Jesus Christ died on the cross and the blood ran red that day that we have any hope whatsoever because Jesus took all of our sins upon himself and he died for us and he rose from the dead. This is not just our hope. This is not just a Baptist message. This is what the Bible tells us. This is God's good news that we can find Jesus and he wants to change our heart. I look at this good, compassionate Jew, and I say he needs to trust Jesus. But the day will come when Israel will turn to the Messiah. Now, I've already found the Messiah. I know who he is, but the day is going to come when Jesus is going to return, and they're going to say, oops, we missed it. That's him. He's the Messiah. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, Nicodemus did not ask, why? Did you find that interesting? When Jesus said to Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say unto you, you must be born again, Nicodemus said, why? The question wasn't why. Nicodemus must have realized there's something in his heart that needed to change. He must have. He didn't say why. He said how. How can these things be? I mean, how can, how can I be born again? How can I be born anew? How can I be born from above? 
His question indicates that he knew that religion was not enough. And your religion is not enough either. And Jesus would say the same to you. Nicodemus was drawn by the miracles. Was that just an excuse? And why did Nicodemus come at night? You ever thought about that first Nick at night? Why did he come at night? Well, there's a lot of reasons people ask, and or they, they suppose uh, maybe it was because this proud Pharisee didn't want to be seen in the daytime going to talk to this rabbi of less repute in Israel. Or maybe he wanted some time with Jesus alone. And there were people with Jesus all the time, so the only way you could get to Jesus would have been to go at night. Or maybe he was having a sleepless night. I've had sleepless nights, haven't you? And he just needed, the thing that he needed to do was he needed to get to Jesus. If he could get to Jesus, if he could talk to Jesus, some of these things that he would see and begin would begin to make sense. How can these things be? I think he understood much, but something was, was missing. So now let me wrap this up. Now all that for introduction, let me wrap this up. There are three things that let me say come out of this text. We'll come back to it next week. But first of all, the new birth is the exception rather than the rule. Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That indicates to me that everybody is not born again. Wouldn't you think that's a pretty good assumption? I mean, if something must happen, then it means that it hasn't happened to a great number of people. In fact, the Bible says in John chapter 3, verse 18, Jesus said, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. Do you believe the Bible? Of course you do. Do you believe that all who do not know Christ are lost? Do you really? And that's the clear teaching of God's Word. If a person doesn't know Christ, people say, well, what about all those people they've not heard? They've not heard. Why do you think we, we have missionary movements? Why, we are, why are we sending missionaries to the end of the earth? Because truthfully, if we really believe what the Bible says, we're going to understand there's only one way to heaven. Hindus are not going to heaven. Muslims are not going to heaven. You say, what about, they're sincere, they're sincere. All the different peoples of the world, they're sincere. They don't know, they haven't heard. I'm not the God that stands there on judgment day. I'm not that God, but I'm telling you, based on what God's word says, there is no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved. And Jesus said to this, this Pharisee, you must be born again. People that are not born again do not go to heaven. <clears throat> People right here in this part of the world who just live their lives and do their things and go on normally doing what they do, cheering for the Missouri Tigers. They don't go to heaven. <laughs> oh, you Mizzou fan. People are gathered together in a great worship center called Kroger Field last night in Lexington. It was funny when uh, Kroger bought the naming rights, the very first game the K went out, and it was Roger Field. But all those people gathered together in that big worship center because that's what they're doing. They're worshiping the ball. All of them gathered together there last night. If they are not born again, they are lost. Wearing blue, wearing black and gold. It doesn't matter. 
Doesn't matter what kind of brand you are, the Baptist brand or any other denomination. People say, why do you keep saying that? It's because the time I get done with Baptist, it's time to go to bed. Any other denomination. It's not, except you be born again. Here's this guy. He's sitting in a boat and he's drifting down the Niagara River, and he's headed toward the Niagara Falls, and he, uh, he's got oars laying there beside him, but he's just sitting there with his arms crossed. People on the bank begin to yell at him and say, you better do something, you better do something, you better do something. And he said, I am doing something, I'm just sitting here. Well, if you don't take some action, if you don't respond to the danger, if you don't hear the message, you're going to go over the falls. No, I'm not doing anything. I'm just, I'm just sitting here. And there's a whole lot of people that are just going to sit their way to hell by doing nothing, by not responding to the invitation, by not listening to the words of Jesus when he says you must be born again. It's the, the new birth is the exception, not the rule. Everybody is not born again. And except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It is... The new birth is regeneration and not reformation. In other words, it is an act of God that gives us this new heart. You can clean yourself up on the outside, and you can come to church looking pretty good. But Titus chapter 3 reminds us that it's not our work of righteousness that does the deal. It is His work, the washing of regeneration, renewal of the Holy Ghost. There was an old independent Baptist preacher, Lester Roloff, and I don't know if you ever heard Brother Lester, but he was, <clears throat> he, he was tough. But I already preached a sermon one time, one of the greatest messages I ever heard, called Dr. Law and Dr. Grace. You can still find it, and uh, if you want some good preaching, I would encourage you to listen to it. But he talked about how he comes to a doctor, and uh, this doctor is Dr. Law, and he begins to tell Dr. Law all of his problems. Dr. Law is gruff. He doesn't have a very good bedside manner, and he says, you know, Doc, I've got problems with my hands. I'm always getting my hands into things that I have no business putting my hands in. I'm always holding things in my hands that I shouldn't be holding in my hands. And Dr. Law says, it's your heart. But I got a problem with my eyes. I find myself looking at things I got no business looking at, and, and I just can't seem to stop from looking at those things. And it's not your eyes, it's your heart. He goes all the way down line. It's not your mouth, it's your heart. It's not your ears, what you listen to, it's your heart. It's not your feet that leads you off into trouble, it's your heart. And so finally, he says, well, I don't like your bedside manner, and I don't like your, I don't like your diagnosis, and I'm just, I'm, I think I can work on this myself. But finally, he comes back, and he realizes his eyes are still bad, his ears are still bad, his mouth is still bad, his hands are still bad, his feet are still bad. And he comes back, and he says, finally, he says, okay, so what are you going to give me? He said, well, son, you're going to have to have a heart transplant. You've got to get a new heart. And he says, well, I, okay, all right, I don't have any other hope. Would you please give me a heart transplant? Dr. Law says, I can't do that. My purpose is simply to diagnose. He said, well, what's going to happen to me? You're going to die. You go to a doctor, and he tells you all the things wrong with you, and you say, well, what are you, how are you going to help me? I can't help you. You're going to die. As Dr. Law has not got a very good bedside manner. And he said, well, what in the world can you do? He said, I can send you to another doctor. Well, send me to another doctor. Who's this doctor? Dr. Grace. 
So Dr. Law sends him to Dr. Grace, and when he gets in there, he says, Dr. Grace, what are you going to do for me? He says, I'm going I'm to take your heart out, and I'm going to put a new heart in there. And he said, okay, so Dr. Grace comes out with the, all the necessary utensils to do a heart change, and he says, okay, hook me up, numb me. He said, oh, I'm not going to numb you. You're not going to, you're going to cut my chest open and you're going to take my heart out and you're not going to numb me up at all. And he says, no, you're going to feel everything. So he said, there strapped to that table, Dr. Grace plunges that scalpel into his chest and cuts his, cuts his chest open. And he said, oh, the smell that came out of that old, dead, rotten heart was awful. And God put, through Dr. Grace, put a new heart into this man. Now that's a new birth. The law can't save us. Dr. Law can't help us. Doing the best we can can't do it. But God takes us in there and, well, by the way, you feel every bit of it. You feel the conviction. Work. You feel the pressure. You feel all of that. You feel the entry of the of the. You feel the entry of the scalpel into your chest that cuts you open, and you smell the putrid, ugly smell that comes out of inside of you. Because I'll tell you, dear folks, before you get a new heart, your heart is rotten, dead and rotten. It's regeneration. It's not. Reformation. It's not cleaning yourself up. I think that's why Charlotte Elliott wrote, Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. There are a lot of people who think, I'm going to go home and I'm going to get myself cleaned up, and then I'm going to come back. And when I get everything all straightened up in my life, then I'm, I'm going to come back and I'm going to come to Jesus when I get everything straightened out. Jesus receiveth sinful men and women. You can't clean yourself up. You don't, you don't even have to come to church to get saved. You can get saved at home on your knees by your bedside or on your couch or whatever. People think, well, i got to go to church to get saved. No, you're not going to go to the funeral home to die. You come to church to witness of that, to learn, but he'll do this for you anytime when he gets you to the point. When he really gets you to the point, you realize that nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. I come to Jesus. And then that it's a spiritual birth and not a natural birth. There are three amazing births that we know of. There's a natural birth, and that's an amazing thing. It truly, truly, truly is. It's an amazing thing. There's a virgin birth, and that happened one time. And it wasn't Mary's mother that was born without sin. It was Jesus that was born without sin, and Jesus only. And then there's a supernatural birth. And if you're going to see the kingdom of God, you must be born from above. You must be born again. Again, quoting J.C. Ryle, you may be saved and reach heaven without many things which men consider to be of great importance. Without riches, without learning, without books, without worldly comforts, without health, without land, without friends. But without regeneration, you'll never be saved at all. 
Without your natural birth, you would never have lived at all. Without a new birth, you'll never live in heaven. Uh, of all the people who reach heaven, there will not be one single individual who has not been born again. You must be born again. Thank you for listening to this podcast today. We appreciate you tuning in. We pray that this has been a blessing to you. And I pray that today you in your own heart can take heart because you know Jesus Christ is your Savior. And Jesus came to be the Savior of all who would call upon him. And if today you've never trusted in him, I encourage you to say, Lord Jesus, come into my life, forgive me and save me. And God's word says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Our purpose in all of this is to encourage you to know Jesus, to love Jesus, to grow in Jesus, and to take heart in Jesus. He cares for you.